I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 87 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio-Technica. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and this week we've got Ashley Ringrose from SMG Studio on the show. Very excited to get into that with you, but first of all, a bit of housekeeping. The iTunes review of the week goes to Dylan Tekel. Five stars, and he says, Jono uses his knowledge and passion as a gamer slash journalist slash author slash musician and NBA fanatic to produce informative and inspiring interviews with his guests, allowing them to share their expertise through well-researched, thought-provoking questions. Keep putting in the great work. Wow, what a review. It's almost like you studied communications or journalism or media or something at university. Thank you, Dylan. Love your work. And keep those iTunes reviews coming, dear listeners. They do help out the show a lot, so if you can find it in your heart to leave one, you'll be my best friend forever. And hey, if not, maybe you can just come up to me and tell me in person how much you love the podcast. I'm going to be at PAX Australia in Melbourne in a few weeks' time. I'd love to meet anyone out there listening to this. If you can't find me on the show floor, because there's thousands of people there, I will be involved in a couple of panels, which is really exciting. Uh, There's one, an Audio Technica panel called Before You Go Live, which I'm pleased to be part of with my good friend Brendan from The Hungry Gamers, head of 8-Bit. We'll be giving our audio advice, tips and tricks, all that good stuff to help any podcasters, YouTubers, streamers out there who have questions about the whole setup process. I'll be interviewing a few people on that panel, so come along for some expert tips. There's also a Mario Tennis Aces Invitational bit of a competition happening on the Sunday that I'll be part of competing against a bunch of other podcasters and streamers. So that will be good fun. I'm sure it's going to be a great weekend and I'm planning to do a whole lot of interviews with some really cool people. So there should be a good month or so of content to come out of that event. Now, today's guest, Ashley, is the head of SMG Studio, an Australian independent game developer, mostly based in Sydney. They've got a few people in Melbourne too, but They are mostly known for Death Squared, which came onto consoles uh, over the last couple of years and really seem to make a a bit of a mark on the Nintendo Switch. I believe they've sold more than 52,000 units, which is pretty impressive for a team of about 25 people. And some of their other games they've worked on, mostly in the mobile space, such as Thumb Drift, that's sold more than 10 million units. I guess they're free downloads, so probably shouldn't say sold, but you get the idea. They've also worked on Risk mobile game version of the board game. They've had a chance to be involved with some Marvel licensed games on mobile devices. So yeah, these guys have been around for quite some time and they know exactly what they're doing and what they do well. So it was really great to talk to Ashley about the business side of running a studio because he, you know, used to be involved in the coding and development side of it, but now he's kind of moved into more of that supervision side of things where it's someone making sure that things get done, making sure that contracts are in place, making sure invoices are paid and that the business can operate because there's such a huge part of it when it comes to securing these licenses and making enough games to pay the bills, but then deciding it's time to work on a a new intellectual property and putting something out on a console like Death Squared. Marketing is such a huge part of it. And I think that marketing is probably the thing that made me most interested in SMG because they do such a great job with their merchandising and their social media presence. So Ash being the guy that runs a lot of that stuff and comes up with those ideas, we had a really good chat about their approach to especially the way they interact with gamers and potential customers and i think that you're really going to enjoy that so without further ado here is ashley ringrose enjoy the show 
thank you so much for joining me, Ash. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Death Squared is, uh, I guess, what uh, your studio is most well-known for. Is there anything pending that people should know about, or is it still under wraps? Uh, we've got a couple of things under wraps, but, I mean, depending on uh, what you play, like we're kind of known for our Thumb Drift and One More Line as well, which we released on mobile before that. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, Death Squared's our first console kind of game, so we you know, brought in a new bunch of fans with that game. Yeah. But, yeah, we've got a game which we were hoping to – announce pretty soon uh we would hope and announce you know probably at pax oz but we might delay it just a little bit more uh coming sure. out early next year which is uh going to be a lot of fun i'm sure there's a lot of uh, thought going into those kinds of decisions isn't there yeah it's more um just having all the right materials ready so having a good trailer key art all that stuff like the game's ready to show but it's not ready to show from a you know a super wide you know, you've got one chance to kind of impress people. Mm. So that's the kind of big decision there is if we announce too early, we don't have great materials to show. So, yeah, got sure. to be very strategic with those things when you're a smaller studio. When you're a bigger studio, you can just announce a logo yeah. <laughs> uh, like Bethesda and then just worry about it in four years' time. So That's it. Oh, man. Why don't we start with maybe explaining what you do uh, with SMG and how you got there? Yep. So I'm actually, I'm like the studio head, uh, which is just a title means I do a bunch of stuff without actually having any, uh, defined <laughs> role, if that makes sense. No so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm involved in lots of different things, but I, I don't do coding anymore. I used to be a coder. I don't do the graphical design, but I'll help out on, you know, anything and everything that's required. But, uh, I try and free up the actual, you know, the tech team and the designers that to do their job by doing everything that they shouldn't have to do. Right. Um, and SMG now we're 26 people. We've got 22 in Sydney and I think four or five, oh, 27, tw- uh, four or five in uh, Melbourne. And uh, yeah, basically uh, I, you know, the actual SMG was born out of a company I ran called Soap Creative, which I ran since 2002 We've since, uh, you know, merged that with a bigger company and so now I'm concentrating fully on SMG. Mm. But, um, you know, the founding team of SMG I'd worked with for seven, five, you know, eight years each at SOAP. So, we're actually quite a seasoned team. Uh, but as SMG, we, we founded in 2013. So, it's we did a lot of ad games before that, games for different brands, you know, like Unilever brands and um, – different movie titles. We did games for Expendables, uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, more web games. Sure. And then kind of uh, got some funding from the Australian government in 2013 and said to ourselves, look, we'll give ourselves one year to do our own IP and we'll see how it goes. And it's done pretty well since then. So, yeah, that grew from four people now to, yeah, 26. Wow. That's pretty cool. I mean, it might not sound like a lot compared to the big studios, but for an indie studio, that's fairly substantial. Like that's as of today, that's more than Telltale has from uh, their recent. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think twenty twenty five is a good size, and you know, hearing about that Telltale stuff today, it's like it's unfathomable for me to think how to run a team of two hundred and fifty, or there would have been like yeah. two hundred fifty, three hundred people. But, you know, you need to get to a certain size to do certain size projects. Um, we have multiple projects on the go at once. 
for us, we like having multiple projects where there's a small one, a big one, uh, mobile and console, um, just to allow, you know, a variety of, you know, a, a, you know, a variety of teams to work on projects, but also income coming in at, at, uh, you know, a constant stream. Cause if you, if you just work on one big project, there's, you know, if it could be a couple of years, <laughs> three, four years before you see any income from it. So it's quite hard to, you know, manage a company that way. And you mentioned uh, not being able to do code or not doing coding anymore. Is that your background? Like, how did you get into the industry to begin with? Yeah, I studied graphic design and went into a digital agency and I started learning Flash. So, you know, I, I, I owe my career and everything to Flash. Um, there's a bunch of us that, um, you know, even Mark, who's in my team, um, you know, he founded FlashKit, which if you're a Flash person, you'd know that site was one of the biggest at its time. Um, I actually spoke at Mark's conference at FlashKit back in 2001, I think. So, um, you know, I was making, uh, I probably made like 50 to 80 Flash games myself. And the team at Soap had probably made 250, 300 Flash games over the 16 years. So, you know, quite a lot of games. Um, and, you know, a lot of my, t- say Pat, who's part of the team, Ilya, who was part of the team, and Henrik before that were all Flash guys. So, yeah, we're kind of a got a big Flash heritage, and so that that was kind of my uh, background. And then everyone else was much better than me. You know, I was I was I was I was AS two. So if anyone knows Flash, you know that's that's as far as I went. I was very fast and very scrappy with that. But anything AS three and above was just above my comprehension. And you know, I realized I was you know much more valuable doing more of the business management and kind of the running of a studio than the actual coding. Yeah. I, and I guess that's um, something you don't really think about business being done by people who have more of a creative background, but was that something you fell into or was it something that you deliberately thought, I can keep myself in this industry uh, a bit longer if I have that skill instead? Yeah, d- I definitely uh, fell into it and I've made a lot of mistakes <laughs> and I've learned a lot over the time. Um, you know, I've done a little bit of training now. Um, even, even just coming to terms with the word boss was quite a, quite a hard thing to swallow. Just having, you know, people introduce me and say, Hey, this is my boss. And I'd go like, Oh, that, that feels so bad. But you know, now, now I've learned to maybe not embrace it, but I've learned to accept it as being a, you know, a valid, a valid thing. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think you don't know what you don't know sometimes. And in some, some ways we've done some really good things by, not knowing how you're meant to do it and other times we've made a lot of mistakes. So, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that way. But, you know, we've done okay. We're not, you know, I think if we had been properly business business uh, savvy, you know, from soap, you know, it would have been a couple hundred people or something. But, uh, I mean, for me, if you just treat people fairly and honestly and be honest with, you know, everyone, then, you know, you can kind of get through things without too much drama. So, that's kind of how we – that, that's kind of my management yeah. uh, philosophy, if you will. That's good. Was it a case of looking around at a bunch of devs who've been working on a game and thinking, well, someone has to do the grunt work with the business side of it. Someone has to register the ABN and look at the accounting and, and all and like the office space. Is that kind of how you fell into it? Yeah. I mean, because uh, I'd started SOAP in, with a couple of other guys in 2002, I kind of had learned that so i was doing you know at the very start doing the myob 
you know, sending invoices and, you know, my day to actually do the work would start at like 6 p.m. because I'd spend the whole day just doing invoices or quotes and stuff like that. So I did have, you know, from 2002 to 2013, you know, I had a lot of experience, you know, learning the ropes that way. But in terms of when starting SMG and more of a formal game studio, the guys that were really good at coding, you know, didn't like filling out forms and the guys are really good at coding were great at ideas, but weren't great at putting together a pitch doc or, you know, presentations. So that, you know, I just filled in all the gaps around their skills. And so I had, you know, really good artists, really good coders, really good tool makers and animators. Yes, they probably could have filled out forms, but, and done all the business management, but they didn't have any sales skills. So yeah, I kind of filled in all the gaps around it. Sure. And I kind of consider myself like the hustler of the team and, I've met other studios like um, I think it's Witchbeam. Uh, you know, they're a small team, but then uh, Nart, who's there, you know, he's another hustler. And, you know, I think every studio kind of needs that hustler there to kind of, you know, move stuff along, make deals happen, find deals. If you're just making – you can get along with just making games only, but I think you also need that kind of business acumen, that kind of businessman person to mm. kind of um, make things happen. Sure. And I imagine moving away from the creative side, it sounds less fun, if that's a term you can use about work. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, it's definitely less fun. I mean, I still that's why I still dip my hand in when we're coming up with ideas mm. or, you know, on that side. But, yeah, it, yeah, it, it is less fun. And it's sometimes it's, it can be satisfying, though, when you get, get a deal through or, you know, you, you win a pitch. Sure. When we did the work for Hasbro for Risk, you know, we had to pitch for that. We had to, you know, so winning that was a big win. When we did the work for, or when we did Thumbdrift, you know, I was heavily involved in the more marketing side. Um, you know, and that's that's another part of my role is more like the marketing social side and, you know, had a big, big win with that and, you know, how we kind of engaged a lot of um, other of the car scene and influences and stuff. So, you know, those things are, you know, I wouldn't say fun, they're more satisfying mm-hmm. to when they, when they pull, you know, I'm kind of like that guy in the A team, the old guy that's like, I love it when a plan yeah. comes together. <laughs> nice. um, you know, you've got the muscle, you've got the BB Baracus and, you know, the the other guys. So, yeah, I kind of consider, you know, running a studio, you, you need to have like, yeah, your A team, but you need to have everyone has their role. Mm. Um, and I think uh, the hustler, the kind of, say I say hustler, but yeah, the kind of more business side of things. The studios that do well kind of have one of those people in there. I guess it's all for nothing if you've made this great game that no one knows about and it doesn't have any support behind it. Exactly. And a lot of the times, um, especially with Death Squared, you know, when we launch, we launch pretty flat because um, we launched, you know, just after the Switch came out. Um, this was on the other consoles, uh, Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn. All these games were taking all the oxygen out and it was – it's only been now, you know, with the Switch launch, which was been great for us, and kind of the games of gold and the Twitch Prime deals that came, you know, over a year later that, you know, we're really seeing a good return on investment on, on the game. So, you know, managing that portfolio of titles, you know, looking after the, the long tail of a game is where I'm spending most of my time now on, on those games, you know, while the main dev, Pat, you know, hasn't done much on the game for the last six months, you know, checking in we're doing a few level updates you know it's been mainly me just trying to see how we can squeeze as much juice out of the uh out of the fruit as we can yeah i imagine it's a tough uh process to manage whether you move on to the next 
game that's going to earn you some more money or to support the game that's out there and uh, to even just promote it because I mean even even myself like I've, I've written a book I'm working on a second book and I had to reach a point where I was like when do I stop putting my energy into promoting the first one and start working on the second and I imagine that it's the same for you guys. Uh, it's exactly the same and um, luckily we have multiple titles so we can kind of keep jumping around but yeah I, I've definitely um i mean that's probably one thing we haven't done that well is support our titles in the longer term um death squared's been a little bit different because we've have had some success on on the switch because we we kind of get bored of you know we work on a game you work on it so long you get sick of it and then we just want to work on uh the next game because making a game and you know seeing it through is kind of the exciting part the sustaining a game or supporting it actually isn't the fun part because you've you've solved all the problems you've you've had all the praise or, you know, you've, you've seen people play it and then it's like, well, now I want the new challenge. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're much more on the case of, oh, sorry, we're much more pushing towards, you know, releasing new games because, uh, you know, again, we haven't had the huge success that, you know, one game can sustain the studio for multiple years forever, you know, multiple years without doing any work. So it's a bit different. But yeah, I think we kind of have a little bit um, short attention span when it comes to games, and just want to work on the next one. Yeah, right. Because um, that's that's the most exciting, most exciting parts the kind of concept creation and that kind of world building, and that first prototypes and stuff, and then and then you kind of then you realize, oh, we have to finish and ship this game. So yeah, hmm. it's it, it is a balance, and I think that's where some some studios can fall down where they just keep putting all their eggs into one basket, and then they realize okay, we need to make a new game and then there's a, a, a one or two year lull before the next game comes out and, you know, that's when your revenue really goes down. So, yeah, managing a portfolio is a tough one. Yeah, and I imagine on that kind of management side as well, it would take a lot of financial restraint to uh, look at, well, we're not going to make a lot of money off any of our projects for a long time because of the cycle and how it can take a, a, quite some time to put out a game. Is that why you have these deals with Hasbro and the other like mobile games and that kind of thing to kind of keep some revenue coming in while you work on the, I guess, the tentpole releases? Yeah, I mean, for, for us, uh, the mobile titles were our tentpole releases right. and even Risk for Hasbro is actually... Um, right now is our, is our biggest game i think the the console the console markets are yeah kind of a different beast we're not really uh you know a studio set up for you know big big titles so you know we kind of like having the smaller titles where you know like a hyper casual game we can you know do that in one to three months and release it and see how that goes you know i think console doesn't allow you that kind of experimentation so um, part of that's born, like I said, from our short attention span and part of it's due to a necessity to keep the studio viable. So, yeah, I think it's born out of we started with the mobile titles, but now it's kind of a, you know, it's a much more strategic plan to keep us viable, to have multiple streams of income, you know, multiple uh, size titles than just having the the really the really big ones. Oh. You know, I, I can't imagine, I, I, you know, I couldn't imagine working at something like a, uh, a bigger studio where you just work on one game for four years and then release it and then and then that's your cycle like <laughs> there must be people in there that just want to release a really small game for fun or they have a really nice prototype that's like well that's cool but you know how does that expand to a bigger game 
um, that must be a really weird uh, feeling because you know if we have a really fun little prototype, it's like oh yeah, well, we can we can spin that off in a couple of months, um, and then you know while we're working on another game. So yeah, I think you know I like our situation now where we can you know experiment and do other you know lots of little things and putting putting all the risk into one big project. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and I want to talk about the marketing you mentioned before because that's something that uh, I, like, just as a casual observer, felt like you guys have done a really good job with. I remember going to RTX Sydney uh, 2017 and seeing you guys had a pretty big presence there. I think that uh, some of the panels were playing the game and you had the big uh, cubes that you were throwing around with the audiences. Yeah, and yeah. Was that like? I mean, let's just, like tell me about where the the approach came from to promote this game and all those extra things that you went into that go beyond just trying to get um, you know a trailer on Twitter or whatever it is for a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, we were quite lucky with Death Squared um, because everything was a cube based, so cubes are actually really easy to merchandise. Yeah. So. The inflatable cubes were really easy to make. Um, we made um, plushies and stuff. Um, RTX was great. I think Cam, who kind of ran it that year and the year before, kind of because uh, we had a good relationship there, he, he set us up so we could um, have the game on the stage, um, which was great. The inflatable cubes, which we made purely for um, the booth, um, we realized that we could throw them into the crowd. So we that kind of just we, we started doing that at PAX and RTX. So we could throw those into the crowd while, you know, the crowds are waiting to, to get in. Um, and the inflatables were just, you know, hey, I've got a, you know, wouldn't it be cool? Oh, initially we we're going to do like a big uh, inflatable one that would hang above our booth. And uh, I got that, we got that made in China. Um, and then we uh, got it in, we ordered some helium, uh, brought it to the office, filled it up. And then it was like half full. And we're like, what? And we rang the helium place and we said, you know, hey, I think that, the tank he gave us was half empty or something because it's not full. And, th and they said, what are the dimensions of this cube? And I'm like, oh, it's 1.5 meters by 1.5 by 1.5. And then we we had ordered just the um, – we hadn't ordered enough helium because it was uh, the cube amount. So it was like 1.5 by 1.5 <laughs> times 1.5. It was like nine cubic meters or something like that. Right. And, you know, I, I can't do the math. <laughs> um, and we had ordered like five. And the cost of that helium was like three, four hundred dollars. So we realized, like, oh, it's going to cost us like eight hundred, nine hundred dollars to fill this every time. Uh, oh, wow. It's <laughs> it's not going to be worth it. So we kind of just had some, we had smaller ones made just for fun. So we ended up using those the most. But you know, that was just when we're trying to dress the the booth. You know, we don't have a huge budget, so we're trying to think like, what can we do to dress the booth? What can we do that's going to uh, be reusable as well? And so the cubes, you know, are actually really good value for that. I think each of them costs us like eighty dollars. Um, so we've, you know, used them at multiple shows, and just trying to be as uh, economical and uh, scrappy as we can with the booth. And for us, the you know, getting on the stage, and then when we're on, when we thought knew we we're going to be on stage, I thought, oh, we'll do a Wii Fit, you know, hack, so we can um, have the game played on the Wii Fit to make it on stage a little bit more exciting. Right. So it was, it was luckily the team, you know, uh, I'm usually coming up with, you know, a lot of stupid ideas and the team are kind of either roll their eyes and, and, and go, okay, Ash, well, yeah, we'll do that. And, and anytime I have something that's really bad idea, they, they usually shoot it down pretty fast. But, um, you know, a lot of the time it's just, we have an idea and it, it should be a bit of fun. 
and you know it's not going to cost too much so we so we just do it you know because i guess you know we're a small team so we can kind of make those silly decisions we've made custom consoles yeah and do you think that's been effective like do you think that's been part of the reason you've had the success you have um i think it's definitely helped on the long tail um i know i've been really kind of noisy about the game um definitely on reddit uh the nintendo switch reddit's you know you know been a really nice community and we've just constantly kept making noise when um smash smash brothers ultimate was announced um you know, I, there was a guy who did a really awesome Labo Man animation for Labo Man for for Smash, and I contacted him. Realized he was in Sydney, and I said, "How much? How much will it cost to get a you know a desk squared Smash animation made?" And he, he did that over a couple of weeks, or I think yeah, four or five weeks in his spare time. So just always looking for opportunities to kind of um, you know bring our game into you know the conversation through like more like content marketing mm-hmm. and having a bit of fun. And sometimes that works well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, we've had great success with announcing our sales before we have a sale. So we had a thing where it's like, hey, we're going on sale for the first time on Switch. And I told the community, like I think it was three, four days before it actually happened. And we got a lot of praise for that. So we've just been doing that you know, ever since because I didn't want people to buy the game and then you know, the next day it goes on sale because that would really suck. Mm-hmm. So even just that initiative um, got us a lot of praise, got us a lot of um, you know, people saying like, Hey, I'm going to buy the game now. And even though part of my ploy was telling people not to buy the game so that we can compress all the sales into one shorter period to try and chart. <laughs> but, um, but you know, so it was a little bit, um, little bit of a marketing ploy, but a lot of the time it was just, you know, how do we treat our fans, you know, uh, uh, with more respect and, you know, how can we, how can we make it? how can we make news when we don't have actually anything else to talk about? So yeah. it was always trying to find different angles to have fun. With, with the game no i think that uh, for someone that hasn't like studied marketing or anything it's really impressive what you've been able to do with this with this small game and how much influence well <laughs> how much influence do influencers have in, in terms of the sales and awareness for a game like yours because i've seen a few notable streams of this whether it's like someone at ign playing it or kind of funny guys doing a let's play so have do those yeah. have tangible results or is it more just it's cool to see um, the game getting recognized by people with a large audience. Yeah, it definitely has an impact on on sales. Not, not. Um, I mean, we, we've had free games. So it's like Thumbdrift, we had, you have a lot more of an impact because the game's free. So people see it and they're like, great, I'm just going to download it now. When it's a paid game, it's pretty much more of a longer, you know, it's like a sum of all parts. So they might see it on, you know, kind of funny. Um, Greg and his team have been, you know, really supportive of the game and, but then they might see it there, they might see it on IGN, and then when they see it on the store, they're like, oh, they're already familiar with it. Yeah. So it's definitely a sum of all parts. I, I've seen people, I've seen other developers say like, look, here's when the video went live and here's the, the bump in sales and that's it. You know, it, it didn't seem worth it, but it's like, well, no, because it, it all adds up. You know, it's not like the, not like you see one ad on TV and then you think, well, that's it, I'm going to go buy it. You know, you see it over <laughs> and over again. And I consider it all part of that. And uh, channels like you're kind of funny and other ones like that where they may not have the biggest audience, but they've got a better audience in, in a way because – Yeah, they're really loyal. and They're really loyal. They're, they're also, you know, sometimes a little bit older than, you know, some of the bigger channels where it's all, you know, 12-year-old kids. And that that's the ones where free games work really well. 
um, which is why Fortnite does amazing because it's you know it's it's free at the start. So um, yeah, I think those things uh, definitely help. Having IGN, you know, say give us a great quote saying you know it's like their favorite co-op Switch game at at the, at the time. You know, I use that all the time. I just, you know, send people that URL when people say, oh, I want to play a co-op game. It's like, boom, here's what IGN said. You know, um, those are kind of amazing things. So, yeah, it's it's a combination of all things. Um, we've had a lot of people say, hey, I saw this on Kind of Funny or I saw Stumped playing this, you know, and also people don't – people watch those videos over time. Um, they're not all – all of these don't happen in the first week. So, sure. you get a lot of um, long-term uh, kind of value from that. And for us, the tail on Switch um, and for Desk Square has been been really good. So, you know, we're still doing still doing good numbers now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. more than a year and a half later. So, you know, I think it's just there's a lot of media out there now that you know people slowly see. So, review sites definitely help in the in the initial burst, um, but it's that content later on that you know kind of gives you that longer tail. If those influences doing videos are so effective is it something that you're actively trying to generate or is it kind of just giving out the codes when they're requested and hoping that the content does that itself uh we we definitely want to foster those relationships and i think channels like um stumped and uh kind of funny treesicle and uh places like that you know i try to you know stay in touch with them our next game i've given a few of them um some early uh, access to it just to say, hey, I want to get your feedback, please. You know, obviously it's all confidential, but um, I want to get their feedback. So trying to, you know, have a two-way relationship with them rather than just being like, here's our game, can you promote us? You know, sometimes sure. it's like, um, hey, you guys should look at this, you know, check out this, you know, trying to add value to them versus just seeing them purely as a marketing marketing tool. You know, for some of them, I've tried to hook them up with other deals and, yeah, just be a, you know, kind of not not always see it as a, a one-way street or, you know, what can they do for me? It's like, oh, what can I do for them? Um, and I think that's important. I think that's part of, you know, when I say my management style of playing fair and or um, being honest, it's also trying to add value. You know, you, if, if all you look at, if you just look at people purely for the, you know, what can they do for me, it's very short-term thinking. So, you know, I feel like I've tried to add a lot of value to, you know, anyone, you know, even small streamers, big streamers, you know, other other devs, you know, trying to help out where I can to add value because, you know, in the long run, it'll, it'll pay dividends. I think that's kind of like business karma, if you will. I think more yeah. people should uh, consider, you know, what's their studio karma like? Because um, <laughs> for us, you know, we're trying to, you know, be as positive as we can. Yeah. And I mean, going back to what you said before about when people ask what's a good cop game, it sounds like you're talking about your social media engagement and the, I guess, personality that you've got over there. So is that something that you find being proactive and getting on Twitter and responding to people or doing searches and replying yeah, to yeah. people has been yeah. effective as well? Yeah, we've I've got like tweet decks set up with um you know switch games uh, sorry yeah switch games and indies and you know co op games and I try and um or I I used to have like I just got a Nintendo Switch people would tweet that and so i'd just reply back saying check out our games um but you know that that's um you know that's a glance every every day to see what's there and see if i can reply and i've had some some good success with that and you know it's not much work but again it's just trying to be that uh bit active and if i see someone that's you know 
could be a musician or sometimes it's even like a TV producer or something says, you know, oh, what game should I play with my kids or something like that? You know, I chime in there and I say, hey, I'll throw you a free code um, if needed. So, um, you know, it, it, you know, it's a, it's small, small return, but, you know, and it, but it's a small amount of work. And, you know, if one of those triggers something bigger, then it should pay off. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a, you know, I think you just got to be, be quite noisy. If you, if you have a huge success, successful game, it will kind of success begets success. So it'll just snowball. But that's why I talk about being a hustler. You have to kind of, you know, just keep at it and, you know, keep pushing. Cause, um, uh, it's, it's definitely a lot harder on the paid games than the free games. Free games. It's like, Hey, you like cars? Check out thumb drift. And people just download it. Cause it's like, it's free. You know, there's no barrier to entry when it's like, Hey, you like puzzle games? Like, yeah, well, here's a, here's a $15 game. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Mm. So, um, and also if it's on a console, it's like, you know, mobile, you, you're always one click away. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been a big learning experience. Um, you know, pushing a, a premium title than a free title. And, uh, you know, I wish I had the success of, you know, some of the games where they, you know, they're selling hundreds of thousands of copies, you know, a week. Cause then I wouldn't be doing any of this cause it, <laughs> I'd be counting all the money cause, yeah. uh, you, you know, getting an extra sale from a tweet that is, 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 you know, a drop in the ocean. Sure. So I want to ask about, I guess, just the Australian industry in general. If you look at this <laughs> year alone, we've had, uh, obviously hollow Knights come over to switch and soon to PS4 made by team Sherry over in yep. Adelaide, I think yep. uh, the gardens between is out as of this week and yep. that's on PS4. I think it's, I think it's on yep. switch as well. Yeah, it's on switch and, and steam as well. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still early days, but hopefully, I mean, it's already getting some uh, exposure. So it's cool to see that happening, you know, internationally. What is it like to be a, an Australian developer? Because, it's uh, it seems like we've got a lot of success stories, but there's also probably, I imagine, a lot of studios that struggle to get noticed. And is it as simple as if you make a great game, it will get noticed, or it's uh, you know, a really tricky thing to to make that splash elsewhere? Well, I think you use the word great, and I think that's the yeah. If you make a great game, then job done. I think look at House House with um, Untitled Goose Game. You know, I think that was the I was at PAX West and, you know, that one had a line around their booth the entire show. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a great game. It looks it looks amazing. Um, but if you make something that, you know, captures people's attention and I think um, with that Untitled Goose game they did, Hollow Knight, Gardens Between, um, you know, Hollow Knight's smashed it everywhere and it still still gets talked about, you know, years later. I think, so, you know, I think they're coming out on Xbox um, next week as well. So, yeah, I think making a good game is different than making a great game. And I think, yeah, so a great game, yeah, your job's done for you. Uh, make a good game, then you have to, you know, hustle a bit harder to 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 get noticed. And that, and I think the issue we have in Australia is just because we're so isolated that, you know, getting access to the international press is quite tough. Every event is a international flight and extra cost. But I feel like, you know, we do punch above our weight here in Australia, you know, you've got Defiant with Hand of Fate doing amazing stuff and even their even Hand of Fate board game. I was at Gen Con in Indianapolis, you know, and there was people playing there was people playing that game. So, you know, you got League of Geeks with Armello. There's been some big successes. You've got Fire Monkeys, 
um, in Melbourne that are always doing real racing. So, you know, there's a lot of success. I think we're just, uh, we're, you know, we're a little bit, we're heavily isolated, but also we've got a bit of tall poppy syndrome that we try not to big up ourselves too much, which is, which is weird. Um, <laughs> but I feel like the industry, you know, if we all work together, and I think there's a lot more push to, to work together instead of work against each other. But yeah, it's, it, it is tough, but it's, it's tough in every industry, you know, like I don't know anyone from the, uh, I think there's one studio I know from South Africa, you know, their game, game industry, you know, I know a lot of Canadian studios, you know, they all face the same, um, problems we have, just they're a little bit more easy, easy to get access to press and events. But the issue is, like you said, you know, you got to make a great game rather than a good game. Okay, so what would you say has been the hardest part of building the studio to where it is now? Definitely managing, I think, for me personally, managing people has been tough. Um, That's the, you know, that's a tough one because everyone has their own different life stages. Everyone has their own expectations as to, you know, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And, you know, if if running a business was easy, everyone would do it. So, um, you know, that's, that's been a tough one. I think, uh, yeah, definitely managing growth as well. Like part of, you know, if you want to, if you want to grow the team, it's not like, you know, talented people grow on trees. So you have to, you know, that, that, that's probably another big, uh, issue in Australia. It's just hard to find enough talent, you know, around. And mm-hmm. now with the visa laws changing, it's actually making it a lot harder to get a 457 visa, um, in Australia. So, you know, there's a lot more, um, marketplace. Uh, labor testing and that involved where it used to be a lot easier so you know it's still easier than some countries to get a visa here you know you can get a 417 working holiday visa but yeah attracting talent or saying hey you know leave america or leave the uk and come all the way over to australia it's you know it kind of works for someone who doesn't have a you know a wife and kids and or you know sorry or a partner or kids and um but it's a you know it's a lot harder for, to have people senior people kind of move over, so um, yeah I think that attracting talent's been a been a tough one as well, and we're lucky we did a few projects as soap you know in in the US so getting a project like Risk with Hasbro and stuff like that you know we had that experience uh, if we didn't you know it would have been almost impossible to kind of pitch and win you know a big project like that without having that previous experience so. And even just getting access to that kind of um, opportunity was, you know, quite lucky as well. So, yeah, I don't know if I, I, I kind of went all around that question, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of lot of um, you know things that are hard with this industry, and mm. there's a lot of things that are, that are good as well. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like TV and film in Australia too. Like they're not easy things to get into, but once people have a company running and making money, it seems like they can uh, tick along all right and i think yeah yeah what i think you guys what you guys have done seems to be working yeah australia seems to definitely fund uh, australia wide film and tv a lot more heavily like yeah. we have a lot of stringent laws in broadcast tv where it's like it has to be a certain percentage of australian content so that just you know basically hands these companies you know work and you know money on a platter um in gaming there's no uh, restrictions for that so and there's you know outside of victoria there's no heavy investment in gaming so you know we're at a little bit of a disadvantage there and then you talk to people in uh the us and they're like what 
they they give money for film and TV. Like that's you know because Hollywood's such a machine. Like they don't get any funding. You know it's unfathomable that the government would fund film and TV projects for YouTubers. It's just a unique unique case. But yeah, I think um, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I mean, what what's rewarding about it is you can you know launch a game it can go global you know you can launch a game globally whereas with a film you know you can't just be on every cinema around the world you got to get distrib- distribution deal and there's a lot more costs involved in that um so you know gaming does have an advantage in that sense okay so i usually ask for advice about how people can you know get into your industry and do what you're doing but i feel like yeah as an indie that's more established and profitable, maybe you would have some really good advice for people that are already in development, but they're just wondering, like, how do I build my company from three people to 10 people or from 10 people to 50 people? And that's something that you might have something to say about. Yeah, I mean, just make sure that you want to grow your company that big. You know, if you're three people, great. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, I guess in terms of instead of maybe just focusing on the staff, but more just like making a viable company that will last. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I think you just need, yeah, you need multiple uh, for us, you know, it's having multiple games, having a uh, passive income as well. You know, I think we're trying to get to a certain uh, level of income that comes in without any work being done. So like from previous titles um, that gives you that safety net that, you know, you can work, um, work on, you know, projects that you want to work on. But um, I mean, really it's just have, uh, be more strategic with your releases. Also try and, you know, squeeze as much juice out of each title as you can. Um, just release and forget is probably not the best way. But also, you know, our first game was 18 months. Our second game was built in two months. And then we did a whole suite of games that were done in, you know, two, three months. So you um, try and look at how you can release multiple titles. You know, don't put all your all your eggs into the, you know, one basket, unless you know that basket's amazing. Um, yeah. So got to be more strategic in that sense. But if you can, if you can, if you can stay at three people, great. Cause it, you know, just means if you have success, it's going to be divided by three rather than divided by 20. You know? <laughs> yeah. As long as one of those people knows how to do all the invoices, you're right. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, and, and also, I mean, as a, as a studio, you know, uh, be positive. Like this, it's so easy to focus on the negative. Um, be honest and be fair with people, because yeah, it, like I said, studio karma. It'll it'll pay back in dividends later on. It's so much easier to have um, you know a lot of friends in the industry and in other industries than have a lot of enemies. So cool. yeah. Okay, last question, Ash. If you could do anything yep. and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh. Uh, I mean, uh, me personally, I would probably uh, be like a uh, YouTuber or something like that, like make uh, a, co- a comedian. Okay. But that's that's just because uh, you know I th- I'd I'd rather just be you know like I'd like to be Seinfeld or someone yeah. someone like that. St- Stand up um, or more like sketch comedy. Oh, uh, e- yeah. either you know, but yeah, <laughs> Stand up would be great because I think it, that's a you know that's on my life goal list is to do a stand up set but i think a lot of people have that as well um but yeah no i'm i'm kind of yeah yeah that's that's for me personally just want to do that or um or study do you know run a big research study but you know those studies where you hear like we put a hundred people in a room and then divided them by eye color 
and I, I would love to just run like human studies, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, ra- random anthropo- anthropological studies or, you know, stuff like that. That's really, I don't see any way to make money or, you know, survive off that, but I think it would just be fun. Yeah. <laughs> just a curiosity, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like uh, social experiments uh, or, you know, you know, mm-hmm. anthro- anthropological studies, that marshmallow test, all that stuff gets me, okay. you know, really excited. Put a uh, hundred people in a room. Give fifty of them a switch with Death Squared. Yeah, and the other fifty don't give them anything. See what yep. happens after yeah. five hours. W- yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, give give someone. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, there's just yeah, it'd be great to just uh, run experiments on people. That not not in a bad way, just in a more um, <laughs> interesting way. Yeah. Is there like a dream video game that you have that you'd love to work on or? contribute oh, to me uh i got asked this question before from a friend i was like no i kind of i kind of like making i don't i don't have the dream game i mean we worked on a game uh to promote marvel ultimate alliance 2 back oh, in the wow. day and uh it was like a i don't know if you played heroes of might and magic but it was the battle mechanics from that with all the marvel ultimate alliance characters so you know you had spider-man and you know all the marvel characters and they would be able to fuse and you know, we made that, that was turn-based multiplayer and it was hugely successful. And I kind of want to do that again, um, just cause it was a lot of fun having those characters that all have their particular traits and stuff. So, you know, I keep bringing that back up, um, <laughs> up with the team, but it's like, you know, we're never going to get the Marvel license until we can yeah. afford a $10 million, uh, <laughs> minimum guarantee or something. So, but I mean, that, that's something of that, that's probably in my dream list still to do that one sure who knows maybe one day yeah all right thanks for joining me it's uh been really interesting ash and hopefully we can uh, catch up at a future pax or rtx or something yep definitely yeah we'll be at pax australia so um great come say hi and then i think we'll that's it for us for the rest of the year which should be good (laughs) stop traveling and then um yeah we'll we'll hopefully be able to announce our next game yeah fantastic all right thanks mate Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. If you want to get in touch with Ash, you can find him on Twitter at SMG Studio. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to leave an iTunes review, that would really help out. But if you really want to show some love, pick up some sweet putting in work merchandise over at 8bit.net slash P-I-W, that's A-T-E-B-I-T. And of course, that's where you can find the rest of the awesome podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.